When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, my name is Giles Brandreth and I'm sitting in the sitting room of my friend... Susie Dent. We're here in Oxford and we're going to give you a podcast all about words. We call it Something Rhymes with Purple because, as you'll probably know by now, but you won't if you're new to this, something does rhyme with purple. It's the word... Well, there's another one. Oh, no. Okay, so the one that we've been talking about is herple, which is to uh, walk with a limp. But there is also kerple, which is a Scots word, and it simply means your buttocks. Oh. It's usually the rump of a horse, to be honest. But yeah, your buttocks. And then also it can be the leather loop passing under a horse's tail and buckled to their saddle. So we should so really we should really be calling the podcast Lots Rhymes with Purple, <laughs> but we're not. Some things rhyme with purple. Today we're going to be dealing with your emails and your queries and your tweets and messages to us. One of my New Year resolutions was to try to relax about emails. I love getting the emails uh, here because they're all on a subject and we've got a time to answer them. But yeah. overall, I'm a bit overwhelmed by emails and I'm not good at replying to them either promptly or at all. I, I try, but I'm thinking perhaps I, I shouldn't. Not to these ones, but to the ones I get personally. I've got I've got things to do, like you, Susie. I've got mm. books to write, TV series to film, shows <laughs> to plan, a tour to deliver. Yeah. And I'm reminded of something that my hero, Oscar Wilde, said because, as you know, I'm the president of the Oscar Wilde Society, he said when he was the editor of the magazine The Woman's World, had been called The Lady's World. He changed the title to The Woman's World when he became the editor. And this is what he said. I have known men come to London full of bright prospects and seen them complete wrecks in a few months through a habit of answering letters. Mm, there you go. It can be so oppressive. It's not can't just it? new technology, it's been there forever. It has been there forever. But the letters yeah. we've received, we're very pleased to have received because they are to the point. And they helpful. are to the point. And Who have we heard from? Or what about? I would just say that quite often we don't always read the bits where people say they're enjoying the podcast because it seems a bit self congratulatory, but they do mean a lot, those messages. The fact that you're enjoying the podcast. You also sometimes say, uh, you know, that there are things that you find annoying. Please keep going with that. We are more insecure than you realize. Uh, Susie, you probably realise that Susie thinks she's insecure. I'm actually even more insecure than Susie, but I don't seem to be. Uh, Are you? Oh, yeah, I'm terribly insecure. Mm. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm terribly insecure. And I'm also very nervous before a performance. You know, I earn most of my living. that's good. I mean, that's been proven that the adrenaline is is helpful. Yes. Ah. Yes. I think it's when you go on and you're very blasé that it's... Oh, fine. Because I, I, I do, as you know, a lot of speaking, public speaking and after dinner speaking and hosting award ceremonies. And I was doing one the other night and I thought, oh, this, I've been doing this for literally half a century. Why is my 
tummy churning. Why have I got the butterflies? Mm. Why have I had to go out to the loo at the last minute? This is ridiculous. You get grow up. No, no, I think it's good. I still feel the adrenaline in the nerves when the countdown clock starts ticking after all this time. So I think that's a good thing. But we, this is a whole episode that is dedicated to our purple people's questions. I hope I've said that correctly. Um, right from around the world, which is just so nice to get an email from somebody who's who's on the other side of the globe and uh, is managing to listen. So thank you. Should we kick off? Kick off. Okay. This one is from Sammy Cox. Hi, Susie and Giles. I know Giles hates preamble. That's a good word. But I have to start my very first email to you with, I'm loving the Purple podcast. Thank you very much, Sammy. When I was young, about the mid-late 1980s, my parents moved our family from London to Poole in Dorset. Dad used to talk about the grockles that descended en masse upon the town and surrounding every area every summer. I wondered perhaps, is it a word that we brought from the London area with us or is it used nationally? Do you know about grockles? I've heard the expression, he was a grockle. Yes. And I don't think it's a very flattering word, but I don't know the no. origins or See, anything about it. I have family in uh, Devon and they are always talking about the grockles in the summertime. Now, if you look up in the OED, which I have just done, it will tell you that the origin is unknown, uh, which is very annoying because we're not completely sure where it comes from. There was a radio show, I think, which featured the grockles. There was a comic as well. I know that in Cornwall, grockles are called emmets, which comes from a dialect word for ants. But this, it was an invented word in a children's comic, um, which was then popularised, I think, by a film called The System in the 60s. So it's quite old. But quite well, it might be like nerd. We talked the other day about nerd um, being uh, a word coined by Dr. Zeus, grockle. It sounds it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Grockle. But why it was then turned against tourists, I'm not sure. But Grockles and Emmets, you certainly have, haven't made it up, Sammy. It's used very much, certainly in southern Britain, I think. I'm not sure about up north. Any, any purple people from other areas within Britain or, you know, anywhere in the world, please let us know what you call tourists. Because let's face it, there's a bit of a lexicon of insults for tourists, isn't there? Dave McCartney has been in touch. Hi, Susie and Jazz. My wife and I both love listening to your excellent podcast and have a couple of questions for you. First, when we hear someone say, that bloke is the spit of Jazz Brandreth, poor thing. Hmm. We know spit <laughs> comes from spitting image. Yeah. But where does spitting image come from? Well, this is the point where Giles will tell us that there is there was a puppet in a very famous political satire, a programme which was just brilliant. When was it spitting image? 80s? 80s, 80s, 80s. and 90s. Yeah. And um, this was when you were in Parliament. It was. It? I mean, Fluck yeah, and Law were the people who created it. That's it. We talked about this on the show before. And do you actually have your puppet? Did you buy it in the end? I didn't buy it. It uh, went for much more money. I was going to buy it if it was knocked down for 100 quid. Yeah. But it went for hundreds. Mrs. Thatcher, of course, went for tens of thousands. Yeah. Can you um, imagine they having I have in my room, in my office, I have a really spooky, sinister piñata made in my image. And she's absolutely terrifying. I'll show you afterwards. Uh, it manages to keep people out of my office, but um, she doesn't look very good. And she was used on the 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown, the comedy show. I collect lots of props from that programme. It kind of reminds me of a spitting image puppet. But where it comes from, it was originally, and we're talking 19th century here, the spit and image, which then the more people said it and the more quickly they said it, it sounded like spit and image, spit and image. But that why, way. we can see what an image is, that yes. means exactly like, but where does yes. the spit element It's the idea in? you are so like someone else, it's as if you've been spat out of their mouth, which is oh. quite strange, or spat out of your father's mouth, for example. That was the idea. I think one of the reasons I didn't want to have the spitting image 
in my house too, is I would find it a bit eerie. Uh, I, I don't... Yeah, they are quite creepy. Uh, you said the other day you don't like dolls. I've known over the years a number of ventriloquists. Yeah. I used to know Ray Allen, uh, yeah. who had a ventriloquist doll called Lord Charles. And you went to visit Ray and Lord Charles would greet you from the corner of the room. Uh, Ray was nowhere near him, but he managed to throw his voice and Lord Charles would speak to you. And there are people who do keep dolls. In fact, you and I, you mentioned um, uh, nine out of ten cats does count eight down. Out cats. Eight, eight out of ten cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Inflation. Cats down, cats Inflation. down. Cats down, yes. that's what it's called, which is a Channel 4 programme. We both do Channel 4 programmes. Um, I'm doing a, a series about canals for Channel 4, and I've done Gogglebox, uh, as you know. So I'm tuned to Channel 4. And the other day I turned on, and there was a programme on Channel 4 about a man and his collection of sex dolls. And he had all these sex dolls and people, apparently there's a boom in them and they are now AI, they're sort of animated. So so that's why I don't, I don't have any sex dolls at home, animated or otherwise, no. nor any spitting image no. puppets. Nor me. Um, just, just on the ventriloquist thing, uh, it reminds me of the fantastic film with Anthony Hopkins in it called Magic, one of the scariest films I've ever seen. But do you know where ventriloquist comes from? Vent being the stomach. Ventry, yes. So it's speaking from the stomach because the first ventriloquists were not people who could throw their voices, but they were people in whom was thought to reside an evil spirit. So they were said to be possessed by a demon, which would then speak from its stomach, from their stomach in this sort of horrible, scary voice. Uh, right back to Greek and Roman times. When I was a child... On the radio, there was a ventriloquist who had a dummy called Archie Adams. How work on the radio? <laughs> on the, exactly. It was brilliant on the radio. I then was taken well, to see him the in the flesh. Yeah. And his lips moved all the time. Because, of course, it's easy to do on the radio. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. How strange. Uh, right. Who else has been in touch? Quick one here, because we do get asked this quite a lot. And we have covered it before in an episode called Toss Pot, I think. Uh, but we're, we've been asked by Jenny Drummy about flammable versus inflammable. And essentially, the in in this is simply an intensifier. It's usually used as a uh, negator. So um, inexpensive means not expensive, etc. But it's simply an intensifier. So inflammable means very flammable. Uh, but because of the confusion, I think a highly flammable is now being used and you will rarely find inflammable on um, anything these days. Jenny is writing to us from Fairfax, Virginia, which I imagine is in the United States of America, yeah. an well, American state. And I'm struck by it because years ago I went to see a wonderful play starring Eileen Atkins and Vanessa Redgrave about Virginia Woolf, mm. the English novelist, mm. and her friend Vita Sackville-West. Mm. And I, it was a, it's a serious play. And I remember sitting in the stalls and behind me were two very unhappy Americans who were not enjoying this show at all, this show, Virginia. Where were the songs? They kept muttering. They were really disappointed. Just two women up there just talking, two women talking. And it became clear during the interval when I engaged these couple in conversation that they had come to see this show called Virginia because they assumed it would be a sequel to Oklahoma. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. This one from Christopher Harris, who says, one reference that has always puzzled me is the use of Patsy to describe someone as a fall guy. Most notably, Lee Harvey Oswald always maintained he was a Patsy shortly after his arrest in the murders of President Kennedy and Officer J.D. Tippett. I can't find any reference as to whom Patsy may originally have been. Well, thanks, Christopher. Again, one of our etymological mysteries, because we're not completely sure, quite often... Names are used generically uh, for a particular thing. Robin 
famously for the devil or for goblins, as in Robin Goodfellow or Hobgoblin, Hob being a nickname for Robin. Patrick is almost certainly at the heart here of Patsy, but quite why, we don't know. I mean, you will find Patrick in the now, I guess it's insulting to call an Irishman a paddy, but certainly that was obviously a riff on Patrick there. But there is, I think um, Christopher mentions that there is a possible Italian origin suggested online. And that's right. It may be associated with the Italian puzzle or puzzle, meaning crazy. But I think the OED thinks it's almost certainly a riff on Patrick. But why? We don't know. Good. So more work to be done on that. Yeah, always. And more work to be done on condoms. Oh, now... I was thinking about condoms this week. Right. Because I've been introducing my grandchildren to a television series called... <laughs> Where's this going to go? <laughs> no, called The Thin Blue Line. Ah. Do you remember this television series? Written by Ben Elton. No. With a wonderful I, I know cast led by Rowan Atkinson. It's set in a police station. It's hilarious. Complete. And The Thin Blue Line is the line that separates the police and civilians, right? I think that was the idea. That's the idea. Yeah. The thin Blue Line. It's hilarious. And I love it. Uh, I know Ben Elton. I think he's a, a bit of a genius. Mm. In fact, I've just been to see, and I recommend, if you're anywhere near London and can get tickets, going to see his Upstart Crow, which is all about Shakespeare, starring David Mitchell. Uh, it's sensational. Amazing. He yeah. is amazing at the Gilgood Theatre in London. Anyway, David Mitchell's on Cats. Ben, ben Elton plug over. Thin Blue Line is wonderful. The episode we watched last week with my grandchildren uh, had a joke in it about the then commissioner of police who was called... Uh, Condon. And there was a confusion about, you know, the police commissioner called Condon. Was it the same word as Condon? Which had me having to explain to my grandchildren what the joke was. Okay. How did it go? Enough granddad humiliation. Right. I mean, if you've seen... Because they knew it all already. If you've seen a granddad dancing, (laughs) uh, I can tell you, a granddad explaining uh, Condon to condom to uh, grandchildren is even more embarrassing. I can well imagine. So what is is Cat Miller writing to us about? Without wanting to sound deliberately provocative, Cat says, I once heard there's not really any history of the word condom and nobody really knows where it's from. I obviously tried to look it up and completely failed to find any info. It's been irritating that ever since. Thanks, Kat. Um, it is unknown. I wish I could say where it comes from. Um, I'm being a bit of a party pooper in this this episode. Most people who want to find the etymological beginnings of condom say that it's from a physician called Monsieur Condom. Oh. Um, but we have not been able to trace any doctor who was the inventor of the <laughs> sheath, as it was called. It's from 1706, though, so it's not a new thing. Oh. It's a sheath. That's the word. Yes, I was see, that's for. another example when of. I was a talking to my grandchildren. Sorry. Rubber Johnny. That's another. You know, why Johnny? No one knows. Uh, yeah. That sounds like a song, doesn't it? Rubber Johnny, <laughs> be well, my rubber Johnny. Only in your head, just right. Have you got any more? You've been a bit of a party pooper so far. After the break, you can tell us the origin of party pooper. Before Rebecca Holt inquires on the expression "sling your hook," we're going to sling our hook now while we have our break. Okay. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Also from something else. Mel Gedroich is quilting. Listen to Mel and good friend Andy Bush as they learn a great new skill and tell some brilliant stories, all whilst having some good, wholesome fun. In a nutshell, I took a pair of scissors and I went into my husband's wardrobe. Now, this comes from a shirt that I bought him that I know he doesn't like. So I'm testing him by... Uh, uh, This is brilliant. Yeah, by finding out when he discovers that the shirt has got a big patch out of the back of it. Wow, and which area of the shirt is this taken from? Bottom right. Okay. (laughs) Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Welcome back, Purple listeners. Uh, We are endeavouring to answer your questions, although so far I've had to say that we're not completely sure about the origins of of many of the uh, words and phrases that you're sending into us. But I've still enjoyed the digging and the archaeology I've given you an easy one, party pooper. Party pooper. You use the phrase about yourself. Yes. You and Lawrence, our producer, actually both correctly guessed that it might come from the 1940s, and it does. So first record is from a gazette from Iowa, so it's an American in origin, where it is simply a killjoy as it is now. And the poop bit might be uh, a riff on nincompoop. And nincompoop doesn't come from non-compass mentis, which a lot of people think. It, um, we we don't, again, we don't know, but it might be a riff on a French word, nicodem, which meant a simple or naive person. And the poop bit, again, there was a noddy poop as well for somebody who just nodded and didn't really know what they were talking about. And Nicodem is related to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, exactly right. Who is a biblical figure? Exactly. Probably simple and naive. I don't know my Bible well enough. A secret or timid adherent. Um, And Nicodem was used for a Protestant living in a Catholic country who concealed his or her faith to escape persecution. So somebody timid and then from then on was seen as being slightly foolish. And I think I've said to you that nice originally meant ignorant comes from the Latin nescius. The cius bit is linked to science, which is all about knowledge. So it was somebody who didn't know. Originally, it was somebody who was so humble they didn't have that knowledge and then nice with it. That is nice in the sense of likeable. What about yeah. nice in the sense of precise? Yeah. A nice so, distinction, a precise distinction. Yeah. Do you know what? It's so strange, the word nice. I mean, more than almost any other word I can think of, it has changed faces throughout the centuries. So first of all, it meant foolish or silly, ignorant. Then it meant lascivious, lecherous. Then it meant extravagant of dress. And then it meant elegant of dress. And because of elegant, it meant refined. And that's why you'll get the refined distinction, the nice distinction there. And then somehow that came to be a reflection of good character. Very weird. But if you trace it through in the Oxford English Dictionary, you will get completely lost. And eventually it became nice, one of my favourite biscuits. That nice. lovely, nice, nice biscuit. But it's kind of damning with faint praise if you say that's a nice dress. It depends how you say it. Yeah, that's quite nice. I think in America, maybe it's more generous. Oh, that's a nice dress. Yes. No, As quite in America quite. means very. It does. Whereas over here, it modifies. Whereas over there, it... Uh, amplifies. Amplifies. Absolutely. Sling your hook, Susie. Yeah. 
There's a letter here from Rebecca Holt. She says, Dear Susie and Giles, I love Something Rhymes with Purple so, so much. And we love you, Rebecca Holt. We're thrilled that you're reading so many, uh, you're reaching so many ears all around the planet and not at all surprised. You are all brilliant. You're not supposed to read that bit. And we are supposed to read that. The all bit, that's including Lawrence and maybe even Gully. <laughs> anyway, I'd like to know the origin <laughs> of the phrase sling your hook. I'm sorry, it's a little unpleasant, but curious Oh, it's to- not. No, oh, it's is not. it not? No, no, it's just a nautical phrase where your hook is your anchor. So if you sling your hook, you pull up the anchor and you get on your way. Ah, oh, people yeah. do now say it, you know, get out, sling yes, your hook. Yes, it's It's just basically get out of the way. But that's And quite often on the seas, if you slung your hook, is that the right past tense? Mm-hmm. Then you would go off in a hurry. Have we yet done a complete nautical episode? Because we could go oh. down to the docks, you and I. Yes. And... Oh, I yes. Mean, we could, couldn't we? By and large. There's so many. Oh, it's just, yeah, ridiculous. Ship shape, Bristol fashion. Yes. Uh, the, the sea has given us so many words, but sh- sling your hook is one of them. So thank you, Rebecca Holt. Angela Larkham has written in, uh, replying to our request for grammar anomalies. Am I correct in saying that it is an hotel, not a hotel? I was taught that, but my husband says I'm wrong. Well, to save you going to the Relate meeting, (laughs) Angela, to get this sorted out between you and your husband, I have written a book called Have You Eaten Grandma? And it's essentially about the life-saving importance of correct punctuation, grammar and good English. And this is one of the issues that I have dealt with in the book because it concerns a lot of people. Should it be a hotel or an hotel? Many people believe they should use the indefinite article an instead of a, and speak of an hotel or an historic event. They are wrong. We use an in front of a spoken vowel sound regardless of spelling. So it's an animal, an orange, an idea. And because the H is silent in an heir, as in heir to the throne, an hour, an hour of time, an honour, to receive an honour, Where the H is pronounced, we use an A, so it's a house, a hippopotamus, a hare. Do you know why the confusion came about, though? I do. Okay. Well, but you tell me and I'll tell you if I think we've... Let's see if we agree. Well, uh, essentially, it used to be an hotel and it used to be an hospital. And because of that, that's where people put the N on because it was a silent vowel. Not a spoken one, is Correct. it? Correct. In the 18th century, pronunciation was different and people pronounced hotel, hotel, mm. going down to hotel. And that's where we get the H from rather than the H. But the H, of course, is coming back as a pronunciation of H and really gets on people's nerves. I get lots of letters about yeah, that. Yeah, it does, isn't it? But it's all circular. So it's a hotel, a historic event, a horrific happening. They are correct today. Yeah. So I hope that has resolved the difficulties in in your marriage. Do feel free. <laughs> we do provide a counselling service. Um, do we? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, my wife does. Oh, she'll sort them out. Listen to your wife. That's the essence of our counselling service. <laughs> so, there we, so there we are, husband. Listen to your wife. But in this instance, your husband's right and you're wrong. <laughs> I now have an email from Craig Roberts. Now, Craig is a real friend of Countdown. Uh, I know I've mentioned him before on the show. He listens to us every week. And he and his beautiful guide dog, Bruce, come into the Countdown studios frequently. I think you have met Craig, Giles, when you've been in. And he wondered whether the H in rhubarb, which we talked about a few uh, weeks ago, was the same as the H in ghost. The H in ghost famously put there by a Flemish typesetter who worked for William Caxton, who didn't like the look of our old English word 
and then lobbed an H in to make it look more Flemish. Mm. Um, and the answer, Craig, hello, was that no, it's been there from the start. It's thought to come from a Greek word for the name of the river Volga on whose banks rhubarb grew. And that was R-H-A. Uh, that was the Greek for rhubarb. So the H has always been there. Oh, I like that. Mm. Um, I have another great one here. Good. Um, and I'm touching on all the mysteries that word detectives um, are faced with. This one about Jack Robinson. This is from Catherine Banbury. I'm curious about the phrase, quicker than you can say Jack Robinson. Who was he? I'm from Lancashire, but do other counties have their own Jack Robinson? Oh, so many theories about this one. And we've been puzzling over it for centuries. So... Uh, Francis Gross, who wrote a dictionary in the 18th century, around the same time as Samuel Johnson was collecting his, he defines it as a reference to an individual whose social visits were so short that he would be leaving almost before his arrival was announced. That's what was his theory. My favourite theory, and there are at least 10 of them, is that it was a reference to Sir John, nicknamed Jack Robinson, who was the constable of the Tower of London in the 17th century. He, at the same time, was a judge in the nearby city of London, and he could condemn a felon in the city, transport him to the tower where he commanded the execution so quickly it would be faster than you can say Jack Robinson. So a little bit dark, that one, but that's one of the theories out there. The question you have to ask is, why did it take 100 years for the phrase then to become embedded in the language? You know, But who knows? It's a fascinating story, but we, like Monsieur Condom, we will not probably ever find out who the original Jack Robinson was. Well, Jack Ramey has been in touch from Baltimore in Maryland. Yeah. He heard us refer to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary the other day. Yes. Well, Merriam-Webster have come up with a list of 10 words that they say are uniquely English. These are words that have not made it to America. Oh, can I, can I try one of them? You try one of them. And Jack is telling us that he listens in Baltimore, Maryland. He understands everything we... I like the way you say Maryland, because that's how it's pronounced, isn't it? Maryland. E- everything. He understands everything we say. Um, and he Apart wonders... From, oh. Uh, well, and he wonders whether we know what the words might be can on I this guess? list. Yes. I'm going to try Wally and Boffin. Boffin is there in the list at number nine. Okay. Wally isn't, but he's only given me the top ten. Okay. I'll give you the top ten, shall I? Yeah. Pratt. (laughs) That comes from the bottom. A single butt, it was called a Pratt. Whinge. Nice. They don't whinge in America. Isn't that interesting? Well, they do, but not that way. They don't call it that. (laughs) Knackered, which sounds like an American word, apparently is uniquely English. Oh, very English. Goes back to old horses. Yeah. Jiggery-pokery. Oh, yes. That's from a Latin phrase that was recounted by magicians, a bit like Hocus Pocus. Um, so it was a Latin tag that they used. Plonk, as in cheap wine, not as to plonk something. They have plonking things down. Yeah. They don't have plonk meaning cheap wine. That's from Van Blanc. Chanta. Yeah, I don't know where that one comes from. Something that is twee. They don't have the word twee uh, in America. Gormless, they don't have. Gormless. Well, you see, that came from the Vikings, remember? Full of gorm. Oh. Yeah. So you can be full of gorm. You can be gorm-like, which is to have an intelligent look about you. And if you gormed in, I don't know, 13th century, you took great heed of what was going on around you. So if you were gormless, you didn't have a clue. Number nine in Jack's list is boffin, which you guessed. And yeah. number 10 is pucker, which I think of as an Indian word. Ah, uh, well, pucker is in P-U-K-A. Yeah. Yeah, it was brought back by um, soldiers returning to Blighty. Um, after imperial rule. So it's interesting it's not gone over there. You know, our listeners would be impressed if they could see you because all of that, all those answers came fresh from your head. Uh, Sometimes you do have to look things up. I do. But there you weren't. You were just riffing. 
Where's riffing come from? I was riffing, from? yeah, riffing on a guitar. I just, I'm not sure we know the answer to that. See, I don't know everything. Um, I didn't I didn't mention twee. Um, oh. That's just Charles' pronunciation of sweet. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, everybody, for getting in touch. Do keep in touch. It's purple at somethingelse.com. We can't answer every question, but we do try our best. And we may, a few weeks from now, have another episode where we try to catch up with all your queries. Yes, now, please. To keep we always coming. have three a trio of words from you that we may not yes. know that you would like to recommend to us. And I often dip into the wonderful English dialect dictionary uh, because there's some real gems in there. And I love this one because quite recently I mentioned the word cover slut. And a cover slut was an apron or a pinafore um, centuries ago, which you put on to hide a tear or a stain in the garment underneath. Don't we all do that? Um, and I think you would do this if you were shack baggily. Shack baggily means left in a loose, disorderly manner or slovenly. Shack baggily, you're looking a bit shack baggily there, Charles. I love that one. Um, that's my first. The second one is causey webs. Causey just being a dialect word for the causeway or the path. Um, and causey webs is a person who neglects his or her work and is too much on the street. Ooh. Yeah, so to make causey webs is to basically go and hang out on the street rather than in the office. And the third one, um, possibly related to work as well, if you've ever kind of called up your boss when you just fancy a duvet day and you do that kind of feigned groaning because you have humdudgeon being an imaginary illness, then you're windling. Another one from the dialect dictionary. Stop what, windling. What kind of world do you live in where people have duvet days? <gasps> oh, I long for duvet days. I don't have them very often. It's just where you just... Just watch a good film, read a good book. I couldn't bear, I don't think I've ever, unless I've been ill, stayed in bed all day, I would find it so No, I'm the same. I don't think I've had a duvet day for a decade. And of course, when I was a child, we didn't have duvets. No, what would you have had? We we had sheets and blankets. Okay. And you know, the Prince of Wales still has sheets and blankets. Well, I think most posh people do, don't they? I I don't know. I don't know that many posh people, but I do. Do you have a duvet now? I I do have a duvet. But I have had a duvet for years. Remember, I was born in Germany, went to the French Lycée, so I've been duvet aware since Ah. the 1950s. Okay. um, But we hope... Some of you may be listening to this, tucked up in bed yes, beneath your sheets away. and blankets. Yes. I'm going to share my quotation with you this Please week. Please do. It's from Satchel Page. Page's six rules of life guaranteed to bring anyone to a happy old age. One, avoid fried foods that angry up the blood. Mm. Two, if your stomach antagonizes you, pacify it with cool thoughts. Mm-hmm. Three, keep the juices flowing by jangling around gently as you move. Four, Go very lightly on the vices, such as carrying on in society as the social ramble ain't restful. Five, avoid running at all times. Six, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. Mm. Oh, yes. That's quite sinister, actually. Also, I don't know how you can jangle quietly, but I like the idea. Oh, I'm jangling. It's that kind of jaunty. I'm jangling. You're trying to dance. Remember, he was a great baseball player. Picture him, the great Satchel Page. Yeah. My hero. Um, Oh, it's time to say that it's the end. Please don't forget to give us a nice review if you've enjoyed today, of course, or recommend us to a friend. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer or just like to get in touch, you can email us at purple at somethingelse.com. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Steve Ackerman and Gully. Nice. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.